I've spent the last 30 years of my life as a dental professional, not just cleaning teeth, but educating patients about their oral health and how it's connected to their overall health. It wasn't until I got divorced and started working with a mobile dental company traveling to schools that I saw with my own eyes how bad the cavity situation actually is amongst our children. And it's heartbreaking to me, especially knowing dental disease is 100% preventable with proper daily home care. I've made it my mission to bring awareness to how we can change our mindset about our mouths and establish healthy habits that will keep our kids engaged and empower families to take the chore out of daily brushing and create fun memories and cavity-free kids. My name is Sherry Wirtz, and this is Healthy Mouth Movement 411. Join me and be part of the solution. Together, we can battle plaque and make a difference. Hi, and welcome back to the Healthy Mouth Movement podcast. Today, we have Asha Lorray. She is a returning guest. She's an occupational therapist, a mom of a beautiful daughter with food allergies, and she is getting ready to launch Food Allergy Unboxed. She has uh, Instagram and podcast, and you can find her there. She is going to talk about us today. You guys had questions on oral fixation and what you can do to prepare your kids for the dentist and make it a better experience for them and for the healthcare provider. So Asha, thank you for being here with us today. And I look forward to you sharing this information with us. Thank you so much for having me, Sherry. So what can we do um, to help make our kids a little more um, prepared? I know that we have kids that don't wanna lay back in the dental office and we kind of just sit them down in the chair and we're like, okay, let's get to work. But I'm talking that maybe we need to back up a little bit and prepare them. And some kids struggle because they can't breathe, but it's also the fact that they have sensory issues and they just need you to work with them a little bit more before you just sit them down and go right to work. Absolutely, yeah. The number one thing I would suggest is talking them through the entire process. So of course you want them to sit down and lay right down, but definitely having a relationship with the child, even if it takes you, you know, five minutes to have a little conversation with them and get them comfortable with you, that will go very far in terms of how comfortable they are with you and laying back or, you know, following your, your directions because the dentist can be pretty invasive. Of course, you know, you're touching their face, you're in their mouth, they're thinking about all of that. And so laying down is something that they're already worried about because they know what's coming. So if you prepare them ahead of time, just by creating that little relationship at the beginning, telling them exactly what to expect, then they'll feel more comfortable and they'll be able to relax a little bit more for you to actually go ahead and do your job. So what about parents? Do you think, I I think parents could prepare them a little bit too with um, what's going on at home. I know when we talked last time, we talked about Um, a box. So I've created a box that actually can be sent to the parent's house and has everything at the dental office. So the parent can go through that with their child before they even take them to the dentist if they haven't been to the dentist before. Yeah, no, that's super helpful, especially for kids who are um, neurodiverse or have special needs, because then they know what to expect. They know all of the things they're going to encounter at the dentist, not just the person, but the materials they're going to encounter. And, you know, with those materials, they can feel them, they can smell them, they can use them, they know what they look like. And that is that goes really far in being able to prepare the child before they even go to the, uh, the dentist's office. So it's really important for parents to talk through, you know, just general, the general process of going to the dentist. And parents can really, you know, use your box and the supplies in the box to help the kid get comfortable 
at home where of course that's their safety anyway, their safe place, so that the trip to the dentist is a positive one. Using the tools in the box would be really important. Having the child explore them first, and then you could even do like pretend play scenarios with them. You know, as a parent, you can play dentist and, you know, First, you probably want them to try it on you because that's what kids love to do and pretend play, right? You always become the patient as the adult. Um, but then also you pretending to be the dentist on them so that they get used to the actual feel of it. I mean, you know, you don't have to do everything, but, you know, just the beginning parts of, you know, laying down, putting on the little cloth um, and then having, you know, the sensation of someone touching your face and um, you know, you're probably already brushing their teeth because they're little, but yeah, those are all really helpful so ways to prepare the child. What are things that they can do as far as touch, like different points? And can you kind of show us what they can do to prepare them either at home sure. or at the dentist? And, and then would you recommend having the parent in the room or not in the room? That first I'll address the, having the parent in or out of the room. That is child specific. Some kids you know, you really have to read the patient and talk to the parent um, in terms of what is most comfortable for the child. Some kids do better without their parent in the room. Some kids do better with them in the, in the room. And there is no um, one size fits all solution to that. It really is individual. So as, you know, dental practitioners, you don't want to just have a policy, you know, but what you want to do is ask the patient and the, and the parent. Definitely, definitely, definitely. It's case specific. I agree. Yeah. And in, in terms of um, preparing children for touch. So on the last podcast, I was kind of talking about deep touch versus light touch. And here's a couple of pointers in terms of providing safe touch to, ch to children. So one thing you want to do is make sure that instead of just if you're if you're about to, you know, touch their face, you don't want to just go and touch their face. But what you want to do is prep them. So what you want to do is put you know, one hand, sorry, it's weird being <laughs> on camera like this, but yeah, put one hand on a shoulder because then they already feel the sensation of touch, you know, a firm touch, and then you can touch their face. So then once you start on their face, you could even do like little facial massage things with them. What you want to do is kind of anchor your thumb somewhere that's, you know, a little bit um, comfortable for them so that when you're doing the massage, you're not, you're not just picking up your hand and moving it, picking up your hand and moving. What you want to do is keep, keep contact somewhere so that it's consistent. That way it's calming, more calming for the child. So what you want to do is kind of start at the ear. So you kind of keep your thumb probably behind their jaw, their face is tiny. So, you know, and then just, just massaging down, massaging down towards the mouth. You could even do it with both hands if they're tolerating it. Um, and you really just want to like see what they tolerate. They're probably wondering, why are you doing this? You know, you can kind of explain while the dentist is going to be touching your face. The other thing is on your, on your hands, you don't want to be using your fingertips like this. You want to flatten your hand and keep your fingers together because the more surface area to their skin, the less, um, the less, you know, scary that is. It just feels like one point of contact instead of four or five. So it's, it's a little bit easier for kids to handle that kind of touch. Um, that that's really really important that also goes for washcloths so well another thing for kids you know of course all kids take baths and all that stuff but 
a washcloth can be really scary for kids who have, um, a, you know, who are sensitive to touch. Because think about it, when you're washing a kid, look at all the extra stuff. So when you're washing, you know, you're washing their face, they're being touched by like so many different points of contact. What you really want to do is make sure that you have, if, if your kid is sensitive to touch, you want to make sure that you have a firm grip on the washcloth so that only like part of the washcloth is touching their face at a time. And it's the same idea. You want to have a point of contact somewhere, either on their shoulder or their face, so that it's it's not um, it's not unexpected, it's expected, right? They already have this firm touch, and then also they don't have little pieces of the washcloth flying all over, touching them places, and they're already scared or sensitive. You want to just make sure that it's a, you know as predictable as possible and talk them through it. So this is another way that you can kind of desensitize their whole, you know, face and, um, you know, neck area so that the dentist office is less scary. Um, so like I said, you want to just kind of like have a firm grip. And if you're, you know, and, and then when you're, you can even just like do the same kind of idea of the massage from like the, the ears down towards the mouth. Um, but with the, with the washcloth and you want to kind of make it firm. You don't want to just kind of like, it, it can't be gentle. You want to do firm touch. So that's another idea. Um, but that's, that's important in bathing too. I know like a lot of kids have like touch aversion or like very sensitive to touch. Um, you could even use that trick when you're bathing the kids too. So I have a question that brings a question. So my daughter sure. had sensory issues and back yeah. then I didn't know that. So I kind of felt, I didn't realize it till she got older. So let's mm -hmm. say you're a new mom listening or watching. How do you know that your child is having sensory issues when they're younger? Like how would that click? Because I didn't realize it until years later. So right. what do you look for to know? So in terms of, for kids, I'll speak to touch sensitivity. So there's all different sensory systems, but right now we're, we're focusing on touch. So if kids are sensitive to light touch, you'll see them, um, when you bring a washcloth close to their face, you'll see them like, ah, like avoid it at all costs. They probably won't like um, holding your hands. They won't like when you're like close in their, in their proximity because they're, they're thinking about, oh my gosh, what's going to touch me instead of you know, um, being safe with that kind of touch. They might also not like clothes. Um, they might not like certain, uh, textures, certain things, um, certain, the, like the certain fit of certain clothes. Um, Tag. don't like loose t-shirts because it, you know, when they're walking around that, you know, a t-shirt can swing. So it's touching them every little bit. Um, and that drives some kids crazy. The, the tighter the clothing, the better for some kids. And that's a, that's a, a sense of, okay, this, this child is a child that might be sensitive to light touch, but is okay with, um, you know, deeper pressure or constant pressure on their skin. That's a great answer. Thanks so much. And that, that explains why my daughter doesn't like clothes that are big. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it's, that's one symptom that we see a lot. I don't want to say symptom, but one yeah, one thing that a lot of kids that don't like light touch will do. They they and they also don't like um sometimes they don't like jeans because they're they're rough. So you know, sweatpants or tight pants are easier to handle because there's not as many um, you know, different points of contact when you're moving. So it's more like I said, it's all it's all about predictability for people with sensory um sensory issues or sensory differences, especially with touch. 
the more predictable the touch is, the better. And that definitely plays into the whole dental scenario being really scary for people who have sensory issues because there's so much unexpected. So, yeah. And I think there's more of that out there than we know. So that's why I wanted to have you on again, because you have so much information. I mean, we could break it down into probably 10 different podcasts yeah. and talk about each different one. So that's what touch is what we're talking about today. And so that's great. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. For sure. <laughs> You're welcome. So um, any other things that we can do as far as touch? Because I know that when I see kids, I try not to touch them. Like I try to just hold the mirror and just touch their teeth. But now that I'm listening to you, I'm seeing that I probably need to change that a little bit. Yeah, it depends on the child, definitely. Um, but that, in, that that's so invasive in their body. You might want to try some, you know, shoulder touch. I mean, you don't want to touch the child, right? You, that That's like a whole other ballgame of you know, parent comfort and kid safety. Um, but even just, you know, making sure that when you are in their mouth, um, you might even want to do things like um, even just resting, like resting your hand somewhere close or, you know, that that could also help. I, I just realized, or, you know, when, when you're in their mouth, sometimes you do have to kind of like manipulate their like their lips or their, um, their cheeks. So that, you know, you can always make sure that you tell them about it. Um, and then make sure that it's predictable. So the first thing is, you know, talking about it. The second thing is actually like the actual touch. So touching outside their mouth before you have to like move their cheek or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That, that's definitely uh, another thing is I know temperature of tools is something that, is uh, a consideration. So some kids are really sensitive to different temperatures. So the colder it is, the more sensitive they are. And sometimes I know with dental tools, they're very, very cold. Um, some kids may really like that. Some kids might not be bothered, but then there are some kids who the coldness might be too much for them. So maybe even, you know, if, if a child comes in and the parent expresses that they have sensory, um, you know, differences, maybe even putting like a towel over the tools to warm them up a little bit before they go in the mouth so that it's more, it's closer to uh, body temperature. They don't have to be hot per se, but not as cold. Um, so maybe like the close, I'm sorry, I'm, hold on. the closer it is to body temperature, the less um, scary it is. So it will feel more natural rather than noxious or, you know, they won't be as sensitive to it. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I mean, I we do water, like warm up the water because sometimes it's too cold for people, but I didn't even think about the actual instruments because they're just, you know, open out of the package. So. Right. Yeah, even just like run them under warm water for a second. That might be another option, a yeah. quick option in a dental office, in a fast-paced dental office. Um, in terms of other things you can do at home, Definitely um, a vibrating toothbrush. I know I mentioned that in the last episode, but I, I find that kids who have, um, you know, it might be too much for them, but for kids that have light touch sensitivity, shockingly, sometimes the vibrating toothbrush actually helps them. And for kids who have, um, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, for kids who really like oral input, vibrating toothbrush is good for them because it gives them a lot of input. Um, and it gives them what their body is seeking so that other times of the day, they're not seeking it through chewing on unedible objects, inedible objects. So that transitions us into 
what objects can they use that are safe for them for us to give them when they have that oral fixation and they want yes, to have something sure. in their mouth all the time. Yeah, so there's there are quite a few options. So the first few options that I always go to before um, buying anything new or anything specific are looking at their their diet, what they like to eat, and kind of adding in some things that will give them a lot of oral input. The things that give a lot of oral input are things that are very chewy or very crunchy or very high taste. So chewy or crunchy, you know, if it's something really chewy, it could be like fruit leathers or fresh fruit, fresh veggies, you know, like raw carrots, um, broccoli, um, you know, I'm trying to think of other fruit, pears, anything really crunchy, you know, that's healthy. I can't come on a dentist podcast and talk about chewy candy or gum, but, um, you know, fruit leathers are also really good. They give a lot of oral input because they're super chewy and they last a long time, but they don't necessarily have like added sugar in them. Um, and then very crunchy. It could be, you know, like pita chips are really good. Um, what are they called? The, um, matzo crackers. There's all different kinds of any, any kind of like high crunch crackers, chips, those kind of foods are really crunchy and good. Um, and then, you know, high taste would be adding, you know, lemon or lime or, you know, sour stuff, you know, if you were going to give them, you know, any kind of candy or gum, you know, the, the sour stuff, kids really seem to, to love that. And those high tastes can give them a lot of input, like I said, that their body is seeking in a safe way. Another idea is water bottles that have straws. I'm not sure your view on straws as a dentist, dental hygienist, but we can go into that another time. But I, I always recommend straws, um, using straws in a regular cup, or also there are a lot of water bottles that have tough straws, um, and the straw will give the child um, a lot of input because it takes a lot of work with your mouth to get the water or the drink, whatever they're drinking. So that's a really good thing that doesn't necessarily require any like, you know, specialized tools. It's just a water bottle and then they have to use a straw. Bubbles are really good, you know, blowing bubbles and using whistles. Not that that's a parent's first choice of something to do, but whistles are good, kazoos, um, harmonicas, all those kind of, uh, any kind of those little instruments are good. Uh, because that's that's what they're they're seeking that kind of input. So instead of eating or mouthing in inedible objects, give them what their body needs, and there will be less of that. Another thing that um, they become really popular. You can buy them on Amazon. Uh, any kind of chewy tool or chewy necklace. There they have these things called chewlery. There's chew there's chew beads. There's necklaces moms can wear where their babies can chew the little. It's basically like. Um, molded silicone in all different shapes and sizes. I The new one that all the students at my school love are the uh, Chewy Lego necklaces right now. That's like the popular one. But those give really good input and they're safe and you don't necessarily have to worry about the kid putting something crazy in their mouth because they have something and you teach them. It's a tool. It's a tool for your body. It's going to give your body what it, what it needs and then, you know, hopefully they'll be putting less unsafe things in their mouth. So those are all ideas. That's awesome. I appreciate that. And I know you mentioned that you didn't think gum was good for a dental hygienist, but gum is good if the first active ingredient is xylitol. 
And it's good to chew a, 20 minutes a day, like you can break it up into five minute segments because it um, actually, a lot of times we are drinking a lot more and using a lot of straws. So people aren't chewing and using those muscles. So it's actually good for them to chew gum because they do use those muscles. So unless, okay. you know, someone has a TMJ problem, but I'm hoping that your child doesn't have that, it actually helps um, develop those muscles chewing gum. <laughs> okay, great. And the xylitol actually reduces cavities. So gum could be oh. good at that instance. Okay, that's good to know. I do recommend gum quite often. But yeah, <laughs> just recommend it to have the first active ingredient, xylitol, and then it'll kill two birds with one stone. That sounds great. I'll do that from now on. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I know I know a lot of people think, I don't know, I should give candy, but as long as it's candy, that's good for you. Like Zollipops yeah. and Zappy Taffy, and now there's more and more gum that the first active ingredient is xylitol, so you just have to read the labels, but, and you teach read the labels. Yeah, I always read every single label, even on gum, because of food allergies, so yes, I will read the labels now. <laughs> Thank you, Sherry. You're welcome. <laughs> so anything else that you would recommend um, to, you know, make that easier or something that they can do that just... I mean, like I said, I didn't even know this. So I think there's a lot of dental hygienists and even a lot of moms that don't realize this about their kids because it can be so subtle. Yes, it's very subtle. And I mean, we all have sensory differences. You know, my thing is I cannot stand chalk. Okay. I don't like the sight of it, the sound of it, the feel of it, like nothing. I can't even handle it in my life. <laughs> um, you know, so we all have our little quirks. We all have our little differences, but in terms of, you know, just making sure that you're paying attention to what your kids actions are you can tell a lot about how they're processing the world and that's what sensory processing is it's how we take in all the information we get from our environment so um, what we hear what we see what we taste what we smell um, and then how like how we move so what is the position of our body um, and so what we're like basically our brain is like a computer so we're processing everything all at the same time and filtering out what we like filtering out what we don't like and for kids with you know today we focused on touch but um you know for kids who who are sensitive to certain things you know you you can really tell a lot by their actions because that's you're going to see how they're processing that information and so with touch you know if you bring, you're about to wash your kid and they're freaking out that they don't want a bath, you might think, well, what is it about the bath they don't like, right? So it's like they're, they're giving you clues all the time. Um, it's about knowing and being aware and then helping them through it, right? So that's right. kind of how I look at it. Yes. And like for my daughter, I tried for months to get her to use toothpaste. I bought 10 different kinds and I was totally frustrated and feeling I'm a failure as a mom and a dental hygienist not realizing that that was part of sensory difficulties. She just yeah. didn't like the taste or the texture. So I finally just started brushing without toothpaste and then it wasn't a battle anymore, but it took me months to figure that out. Right. Sometimes it does take months and it's okay. It's all a journey. Parenthood is a journey, so. <laughs> yes, it is. And when we have people like you that we can talk to and we can bring these things up and people have a place to go to and it, like a light bulb can go on. You know, because my daughter was sensitive to the tags in the shirt. So we don't buy things with tags or we make sure that we cut them out when she gets them. And like you said, you know, she likes the clothes tight. I didn't realize it till I was talking to you now that that's why I knew there was a tag issue. I didn't think about the touch with a bigger clothing versus tighter clothing until you just said it. So yeah, yeah. it's just more predictable. So it's, it's, 
you know, there's less to be worried about. And when someone's very comfortable in their own skin, then they can enjoy their environment and what's happening in their world. If they're not comfortable, then that's what they're focused on in their brain. So they're not taking in as much in their environment. So Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I, and I'm so I'm glad that I, we're, we're doing this and I get to talk to people because again, it's just stuff that you don't even realize because it's not happening to you. Right. So, and I'm just thinking, what is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> just put it on. Yeah. 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 You, I know. It's like, you just want them to just like move on from it. But it's like, for them, it's like the biggest problem in the world because they're uncomfortable in their own skin and in their own body. So Yes. And even performing sports wise, like she's an ice skater and I would buy a costume and if it was itchy or whatever, she wouldn't wear it. So oh, there yeah. were times I'd buy three costumes before I could figure out one that she would wear. And again, it just didn't dawn on me that that was why it was how it was touching her. And so she was thinking about the costume instead of performing. performing. Yeah. Because she was uncomfortable. So yeah, that totally makes so much sense now. Yeah. I need to talk to you now? years ago. Yeah, I know. How old is she now? 15. Okay, very good. So yeah, I'm learning this stuff as I go along and I do all of these things. I'm thinking, man, I could have been a much better mom had I known all this information beforehand. So the good thing is, is that we're out there, we're talking about it and new moms can learn this stuff before they go through it and help their kids maybe adapt to the world a little better. Absolutely, yeah. And we all, you know, we make, the best decisions we can with what we've got at the time. So happy to help new moms. And for us, for you and I, who, you know, our kids are a little bit older now, uh, we have to just say, we did the best we can. We did the best we could. <laughs> yeah. I say to my daughter, well, hopefully you'll do better with your kids then. Cause if you yeah, know yeah. where you now do you better. Right? For your future children. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. so anything else that you'd like to share before we wrap up today? Um, no, I think, I think, I shared all the tips I've got for today about touch and yeah, if you'd like to know more about, you know, if your child, if your child or children have food allergies, feel free to check us out on Instagram at food allergy unboxed. Um, I'm going to be launching a, my new and improved course in a few weeks. That's called live free with food allergies. And it's basically focused on teaching the specific routines that have helped us go from, you know, being scared to even go out or be included in social events to now, my daughter is completely thriving and included in all of her um, extracurricular activities in school. So if you'd like to know more or, you know, your children have food allergies and you're not sure how to go about figuring things out, please look me up at Food Allergy Unboxed on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here with us today. And I, like I said, there's probably so many things we could talk about. So we'll definitely chat again and good luck with your launch. And we will be chatting with you soon. Okay, very good. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Healthy Mouth Movement. Together, we can reduce dental disease. Yes, it is a disease. Cavities, gum disease, and gingivitis are all preventable, but only by you at home. Together, we can engage our kids and create good oral health habits because a healthy mouth is a healthy body and a healthy life.